and we're Kerber's Kids. The Kids Talk, your monthly graphic novel review. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening as we are celebrating Vertigo Comics Month here on Kirby's Kids. And our graphic novel of the month is Preacher. And here to help review Preacher with me is Doc. Doc, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing well. Doing well, man. And uh, I got to say, you know, Garth Ennis here created a monster uh, when he created Preacher, literally. And Preacher, the one we read was Preacher Book One by Garth Ennis, our author, and Steve Dillon, our illustrator artist. And this is the merging with a bizarre spiritual force called Genesis. Texan preacher Jesse Custer becomes completely disillusioned with the beliefs that he had dedicated his entire life to. Now possessing the power of the word, an ability to make people do whatever he utters, Custer begins a violent and riotous journey across the country. Joined by his gun-toting girlfriend, Tulip, and horror-drinking Irish vampire, Cassidy, the preacher loses faith in both man and God as he witnesses dark atrocities and improbable calamities during his exploration of America. And this graphic novel was compiled and uh, latest uh, publication being from Vertigo in April 9th of 2013. Print length of 351 pages. Collects Preacher issues number 1 through 12. And also a real great gem at the back of this book called Wanted a Preacher Gallery, which is a series of illustrative tributes to the preacher. And I think maybe some of these were also alt covers at one time too. So doc general impressions about what we read here on preacher. Well, right off the bat, I'll just make a blanket statement. I, I absolutely love it. I, I just love the story. Um, this is definitely a mature title. Um, and I mean, through and through every subject matter you can imagine that's inappropriate for younger kids it's in this comic and uh and uh we read the first volume um i this is something i've been wanting to read for a while so uh around christmas amazon had a great sale and i was able to get all the volumes the collected volumes of preacher so i am reading through it i'm currently in the second volume i think i'm around issue number like 22 and um, it just gets more crazy and bizarre and out there. And I just, I just love every page of this comic. I am a really big fan of, of this. Um, and I, when we get to the artwork, we could talk a little bit about that a little bit later. Uh, but overall, I, I just, I think it's a great story. It's, it's definitely something different. Um, there's no, it's more of like, think of a, uh, a comic that's full of not good characters. You know, there's, there's characters that want to do the right thing and they're trying to do the right thing, but, um, um, just their, if you want to call it their natures, prevent them from ever being the good people that they really want to be. And I really like that about this comic. I think Garth just knocks this one out of the park. Yeah, Doc, I concur with you that Garth definitely knocks this one out of the park. And in particular, I equate this to a more updated version of satire, absurdity, and celebration of the hypocrisy of the practitioners of organized religion, vice and actual attack at organized religion itself. Absolutely. Um, and it's really nuanced in, in that 
way. And, you know, Garth Ennis, I believe, is a northern Irishman and therefore has those Isles sensibilities for satire and the farcical and absurdity. And I really got a lot out of this, very similar to what I got out of viewing Monty Python's Life of Brian. And I'm just going to leave it at that (laughs) so we can then get into it. And I'll explain later on here in our review. But Doc, as we always do, we open up with a little Kirby Colonel, a little kernel of knowledge about our namesake Jack. And in this Kirby Colonel, we'll be diving into a Golden Age Jack Kirby comic inspired a priest on the path to sainthood. Hey, Wilford, fire up the tractor. Time to harvest another Kirby Colonel. All right, Doc, here we go. This one is a very interesting story as, you know, I try to get something that ties in with the themes of our particular selection. And in this one, we have Jack Kirby. He's been an inspiration to many readers and creators artistically. But what many will not know is that his and Joe Simon's work during the Golden Age inspired a 20th century priest to serve God all over the world and into the heart of danger itself. Father Aloysius Al Schwartz, whose life and path to sainthood, along with a book about his life, were covered by author Kevin Wells' book on Father Schwartz, Priest and Beggar. After researching other saintly priests for another work, when he heard of the father's name kicking around Washington at the time, when not many people, not even the church, knew who he was, Now, Father Schwartz was born in 1930 at the height of the Depression into a family of eight children. Schwartz lived in poverty and a bad neighborhood when he fell in love with the DC comic Boy Commandos by none other than Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. And he fell in love with this book around the age of 13. According to testimony from Wells Research, Schwartz read issues of Boy Commandos in bed before falling asleep with the comic on his chest and inspired by the heroism of the characters in the story, he vowed to wed the intrepid adventuring with a zeal that he developed early in life to find and spread the love of God in the least favorable areas of the world. Now, the Boy Commandos here, and we've covered them before during Kirby during the Jack Kirby month, but they were an elite team of orphan kids who went on death-defying missions on every front of the Second World War under the command of Captain Rick Carter. They entered Hitlerville and other similarly named places to fight Nazis and turn the tide when others wouldn't. Now, one of Kirby and Simon's lesser-known works, much like the life of Father Al, Boy Commandos lasted in print from 1942 to 49, starting as a quarterly before going bi-monthly. They also had serial adventures in Detective Comics when the book was still an anthology and they were later printed in second series in 1973. Between the periods of those runs, Father Schwartz was beginning his priestly missionary career. Shunning comfort for the sake of holiness, he volunteered to go to South Korea, which was a teeming post-war with a stench of burning filth and lepers in the hills and a lot of degradation going on. In one instance... This sounds like it's out of a thriller or a graphic novel itself, but Schwartz was hounded by a mob boss and a corrupt bishop 13 years into his service in Korea, and it's poor. As well states in his podcast, Father Al cut off money to the bishop 
who was embezzling it and who then bailed out the mobster from prison before moving on to maligning Aloysius's reputation to other clergymen across the East and abroad. Now, stricken with hepatitis as well, man, talk about adding you know, insult to injury. He weathered that storm, went to the Philippines and later Mexico to minister to the poor and orphan those who'd fallen away from the faith. And having established multiple religious congregations of ordained sisters and boys and girls towns to educate the young. Now, this guy, for all intents and purposes, Doc, seems like a, a good egg. Uh, but it, this really goes to show you how a work by Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, a, a piece of escapist fiction, could actually end up inspiring people. And I think that's yeah. pretty powerful. Very powerful. Very powerful. It just, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, words have the power to change and to move people. And I think uh, that extends to the, to the realm of comic books when you have something written well enough. I mean, look at what, you know, Watchmen did for the industry, not just with, you know, um, making it a little bit more um, in the spotlight, but just the ideas that were present in that book. It's just, it's powerful stuff. And I think that's, you know, we, we always focus on a few of those writers that do have those powerful words. And uh, this is a perfect case of that. Yeah, I, I concur, Doc. It's, this is really fascinating how a, a work like this could inspire a young boy to then dedicate his life towards administering to others. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's really interesting that, you know, <laughs> oddly enough, many of the things that our main character here, uh, Custer is battling throughout the book, he, he might actually uh, endorse Father Schwartz's works. <laughs> Thing. Wow, you actually are doing something. <laughs> you actually are helping people. You wow. are helping people. Okay. Wow, what a change. What, what, yeah, what a concept. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, Doc, let's get into our writer, Garth Ennis, and our artist, Steve Dillon, in a little creative chatter. Whoever is this artist and this writer, I must meet them. Creative chatter. Our writer, Garth Ennis. Ennis is originally from Northern Ireland. He was raised with no religion. Hmm, this is interesting. In a hotbed of Protestant versus Catholic turmoil. That's an interesting, uh, interesting way to be raised. Ennis's first exposure to the idea of God was as a six-year-old in primary school. Ennis's teacher told the class that God was a being who could see inside their hearts, was always around them, and would ultimately reward or punish them. Ennis described the idea as bewildering, strange, and actually terrifying. He later used his experience in his comic book series Preacher, whose protagonist is slapped with telling his grandmother that he finds the concept of God scary. Although the fictional violence in that story was not reflected in Ennis's real-life upbringing, his classmates later reassured each other that they all loved God, though Ennis said, I think I hate him. Ennis's later asked his mother about God, and when she asked him what he thought about the idea, Ennis responded, it sounds kind of stupid. A statement the adult Ennis clarified was meant to mask his fear. His mother's response was, well, there you are then. In 1987, Ennis befriended artist John McRae while shopping at the first comic book specialty shop in Belfast, which had been opened by McRae and another friend. Ennis would later ask McRae to illustrate his first professional comics project. 
It was here that Ennis first met comics writer Alan Moore, who advised him to focus on creator-owned work rather than letting comic book companies take ownership of his intellectual property. Hmm, there's a little bit of wisdom. <laughs> Garth Ennis began his career on Crisis 2008 and the Judge Dredd magazine, for which he wrote Judge Dredd, Strontinum Dogs, True Faith, and others. Outside of Galaxy's Greatest Comic, he is known for Preacher, The Boys, Hitman, The Punisher, and great many war comics, including War Stories, Battlefields, Out of the Blue, The String Bags, and Sarah. So that's quite the career there, Doc. Absolutely. It's an amazing career. Yeah, and I, I think having his background, knowing how he grew up, you can definitely see here in Preacher how he chose to lay that conflict out, that, that story, that push-pull between religion itself, the practitioners of religion, the believers, the non-believers, and, and everything in between, yep. which makes this book really that much more fascinating. It does. When you look at the, uh, where it's coming from, absolutely. Yeah. So let's get in on the illustrative storytelling of one Mr. Steve Dillon. Steve Dillon was a British comic book artist who is especially known for his collaborations with writer Garth Ennis. He was born in London, attended the Ickneed High School, where he first showcased his talents in a school comic book. At age 16, he was hired by Marvel UK to draw comic stories for Hulk Weekly and the Nick Fury strip. By the early 1980s, he was drawing serials for Doctor Who Weekly and Warrior, such as the Laser Eraser and Press Button. Notable during this period was his creation of the character Absalom Dak. He was a regular in 2080 magazine throughout the 1980s, drawing mainly Judge Dredd and Rogue Trooper stories, but also Haphazard and Tyranny Rex. Between 1988 and 1995, he edited the comic magazine Deadline with Brett Ewins. The magazine launched in careers of a new generation of British comic book artists, including Jimmy Hewlett, Philip Bond, Nick Abanzas, Disraeli, and Steve's younger brother, Glenn Dillon. By the late 1998s, Dillon was also working for the U.S. market, starting with the DC miniseries Screwer in cooperation with Ewan's and then issues of Animal Man comic. Dillon's biggest success came when he teamed up with Garth Ennis to work on the Hellblazer comic book for DC Vertigo between 1992 and 1994, and then launched the acclaimed Preacher series between 1995 and 2000. He was one of the several cartoonists to make a contribution to Spitting Image, the giant comic book, a comic book based on the satirical puppet TV show Spitting Image by Peter Fluck and Roger Law. After 2000, Dylan has worked mainly for Marvel on The Punisher, and all of those related titles such as Punisher Marvel Knights, Punisher vs. Bullseye, Punisher Warzone, Punisher Max, but also Supreme Power Nighthawk, Bullseye Greatest Hits, Wolverine Origins, and Thunderbolts. Preacher was made into a TV show by AMC in 2016, starring Dominic Cooper. Dylan is credited as a co-executive producer on 10 episodes of the series. 
Steve Dillon lived in Ireland for a few years in the 1980s, but returned to England in the 1990s and settled in Luton. Steve Dillon passed away in New York City on the 22nd of October, 2016, at the young age of 54. Wow. Yeah. That's quite the career for that little bit of time. It really is. Well said, Doc. Well said. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy uh, to think of what he still might be doing today. Um, She'd still be with us. Uh, but at the same time, made quite the impact uh, with the time that he did um, contribute. And let's face it, he was able to work on two of what I would consider foundational series within Vertigo, and that being Hellblazer and Here Preacher. So yeah, yeah. That, that, that's quite the run. That's nearly a decade of dominance there. Yeah, um, exactly. That he, he was a part of, no doubt about it. So, Doc, I know we've been teasing around it and we've been chomping at the bit here to get into our stories let's head over to our literary aisle to discuss the story and illustrations of preacher Arlando, there's our literary aisle all right doc so now that we're on our literary aisle preacher tells the story of a texas reverend named jesse custer who acquires a divine power called the word of God that allows him to command people to do anything he wants. Now, Genesis bonds to his soul to manifest itself. And Genesis is the offspring of an archangel and a devil mating. And that's what happens to present this limitless power. It's really an absurdist notion <laughs> used to expose <laughs> people's malpractices of religion, as we'll as we see in the story. And it, it's a darker and more brutal version, as uh, as I said before, of what Monty Python were trying to get a tra- across in the life of Brian. And there's no doubt about the fact that, folks, when Vertigo set out to make an adult line of comics, this is one of those comics that I would turn to and say, you want a prime example of it? Here it it's is. right here. It's right here. <laughs> yep. It's right here. There is nothing that would pass the comics code in this thing. Okay. Well, let's face no. it. Let's face it. Christ. Would this even be able to be made if it was starting to be written in 2024? Would this even be able to be made anymore? Yeah, you know, that's a really great question, Doc. And let's probe yeah. that further here when we draw conclusions mm-hmm. after discussing all these salient points, because I think that is a brilliant question to be asked here. Uh, yet yeah, we're coming back to that one. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so I want to give everybody an indication of how we kick off the series. And, you know, I don't know if I want to get into a ton of spoilers beyond issue one, but I think we owe it to the audience to at least delve into issue one because, you know, amongst many things that impressed me about this series, this was a tone setter. I mean, just issue one alone is done center. When when people talk about, oh, it was a slow burn or there was this dump <laughs> of background knowledge and stuff that you had to trudge through in order to uh, figure this complex, wonderful work series out. No, no, no. There's none of that. <laughs> none of that here. We start out fast and very, very furious. Okay. So at the Five Aces Diner, in Anvil, Texas, Jesse Custer, Tulip O'Hare, and Pontius Cassidy 
were debating on how they could find God. Okay, table setter right there. We already gave you the background of Garth Ennis and how he grew up. All right, so you know from the get-go, hey, look, we're going on an exploration here. In a flashback, and there are many of these throughout this book, Jesse went to a bar where he provoked the patrons by exposing confidential information about each of them. Okay, so right then and there, where we are piercing the veil of what a minister or priest and the confessions of sin between them and their congregation end up revealing. You know, you have doctor-patient confidentiality. You've got lawyer-client confidentiality. Normally, you have this amongst uh, clergy. Well, Jesse says literally to hell with that. We're 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 going to pierce the veil, and that really ends up inciting an awful lot of hate and discontent now towards this preacher, Jesse Custer. So. Meanwhile, in heaven, a uh, seraphi approached three men and instructed them to retrieve Genesis. Back on Earth, Jesse, Tulip, and Cassidy continued to share stories with each other, recalling how Jesse received powers from a mysterious entity called Genesis, which was created when an angel and a demon conceived it. In the flashback, local police investigate the destruction caused by Genesis when Jesse used the entity's powers to order them to drop their weapons before he rode off. Then, the saint of killers approached the police. All right, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> that is a lot right there. <laughs> the, 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 this is, is crazy. You get, you get the introduction of, okay, we're going to approach a serious topic, but this is going to be unlike any way you have ever experienced it before if you just look at this on the surface level doc uh, many self-proclaimed religious people will call this blasphemous how dare you how, how dare you even tread into this territory how, how do you do this in such a graphic sense and have all of this carnage across these pages and and all of these acts of of heinous uh deeds uh happening well <laughs> Guess what, folks? Much of this stuff actually, sadly, does happen in real life. I think what Garth Ennis here is doing is exposing the hypocrisy of it all. And in what ways religion does or does not play a part in it all. And, you know, there's an old notion, Doc, that, you know, you could, you know, Monday through Saturday... You know, sin to your heart's content. But just as long as you made it to church on Sunday, you were a good person. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the notion that you got to get out of jail free card for six out of the seven days of the week. And that you didn't try to embody or live the example of a virtuous life. That right here goes under the microscope and is completely exposed for what it is. And I, I, I got to give Garth Ennis a lot of credit in the 90s that he had the guts to take this on, just like in the 70s, how Monty Python had the guts mm -hmm. to take on uh, religion in Life of Brian. So, you know, from that standpoint, I think 
Garth Ennis here is continuing that legacy of shining a very bright light on the hypocrisy of the practitioners of faith, but not necessarily faith itself, because he also um, paints Jesse Custer in a very unfavorable light at times. I think if anybody in this book has some redeeming qualities to them, it might actually be Tulip. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in, in a sense, so does Preacher. He is, you know, this is not like, you're, and I'm so glad Garth didn't go this direction where he just, oh, here's a, here's a preacher, here's a man of God who is just experiencing a crisis of faith. That's not what's going on here. No. Um, and uh, there's nothing close to that going on here. This is, this is a man who we learned very quickly, so I'm not giving any spoilers, it's very quickly, that he has a very, very checkered past. He, is yes. not, he has not always been a very nice man. He has, um, and it's um, mostly from his upbringing, um, which you find out in, in spades in this, which is uh, just shocking in itself, his upbringing. Yes. And so it's, he is, you know, he is a kind of a, um, um, a product of his upbringing. Basically he, he has violent tendencies. Um, but he's also, he also is at heart. There is a very good kernel of a, of a good man in there that he does have a certain code, even if you want to call it like a honor among thieves kind of thing, but he does have a code that he goes by and, um, and you know, and his, his, uh, his, his main motivation is not like you pointed out though. It is, I think it is Garth exposing the hypocrisy in religion, but for preacher his act for jesse's actual uh, motivation um he finds out through a bunch of stuff that that god has abandoned heaven god is no longer in heaven he's left and where's he gone he's in earth he just wanted to, he's just decided to live like a regular man on earth somewhere and so that's where jesse and tulip and cassie they decide you know what and especially especially jesse preacher that um that makes him really angry. He's like, you can't abandon your creation. You know, what, what, what about, what about what you promised and your love and your hope? I go, you're gone. And you've basically, uh, uh, by leaving heaven, you've taken all of humanity's hope with you. So he wants to find God. And, uh, I think he wants to beat him up too, <laughs> but uh, as, as Jesse often wants to with people, but it's, um, I mean, it is, it is, uh, I think it's a brilliant. It's an, it's both an allegory and it's quite literal that we are searching for God. And I think Garth, um, I think that was, I can just see him like sitting around one night being like, what can I do? I'd like, uh, you know, what can I put a spin on the search of God? And it's like, I could make it a literal search for God. And, um, I, and I think that's it's just, that just always grabbed me about this book and um i, th I think they uh, like you said it is there's really nothing in here that should be taken seriously i think he's talking about like some really good um um themes and everything but everything is so like you said satire and it's very 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 dark humor dark humor that i haven't seen in a comic in a really long time and um and i think that's what it's based on so it really isn't like a writer just like, I'm going to be blasphemous because that's going to, you know, that's going to create a, a stir for this, you know, um, create a word of mouth. It, I don't, I don't really find anything blasphemous about this. We're actually seeing like, uh, as you pointed out, the, uh, um, Garth kind of exposing how, you know, people who consider themselves religious, um, how they approach, you know, their, their faith and, and things like that. So I don't really find much blasphemous in this. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a really, um, heartfelt, um, search and exploration of somebody's faith 
and uh, somebody who um, maybe, uh, you know, they want to be on that path of God and they, they stray um, because they're human and things like that. And I think that's some of the things that this book is exploring as well. Yeah, Doc, I think what you're bringing up here actually is the integrity of this book. Mm-hmm. And, and I also feel that, you know, when you said that, you know, Jesse Custer is living by a code, I, I think that Jesse Custer character has his own version of integrity mm-hmm. that he is fulfilling. So from, from that standpoint, he, he becomes a relatable character in that he's at least grounded in something. Now, you may not see eye to eye with him. There's no doubt about it. But, but I think he, in some ways, is not only loathed, but at the same time, he is he he elicits some sort of an emotional compassion out of the reader yeah. saying this is someone who is really struggling who's trying to take an earnest journey here to hold the uh the existence of faith accountable ultimately and, and from that standpoint this is just an absolutely fascinating exploration done by Garth Ennis. And Doc, I don't, we're not going to get into spoiler territory, as I said before, mm-hmm. as it related to storyline, but I have to share, I have to share the exchange between Tulip and God for our audience. <laughs> yes. Because this snippet is so revealing to me as it relates to getting into the mind of Garth Ennis and what he's trying to bring to the forefront here. Okay, so Tulip, at one point in her story, uh, thinks she's dead. Okay, and and I don't feel dead. And then all of a sudden, a visage of God shows up. You are not. I told you, child, I am the resurrection. I am the way and the truth and the light. I am the alpha and the omega and the bright morning star. I am the Lord, your God. Oh, yes. I am your father in heaven, child. I love you as I love all my children on earth. I want you to live and I want you to love me. And I want Jesse to love me too. So to him for me, Tulip, tell him how I love him so that I have brought you back. Tell him there is no need for him to search the world for me or wonder why I wander far from paradise All I ask is that he trust me once again. Trust you, says Tulip. Is that so much for the creator to ask of his creation? His grandmother and her cohorts are evil people. This is in reference to Jesse's. Tell him I have restored his power over them, that he may judge them as he sees fit. Then both of you may go in peace. Now, I have dealt more than fairly with him, Tulip. His love and trust are but a little price to ask. What do you think he'd say of me, hmm? And then Tulip thinks and finally says, I think he'd say, cut the blank. (laughs) So that's pretty curt as it relates to Tulip's reaction back to talking with God. But shows you not only the anger uh, that she is reflecting, knowing Jesse so well, but this interaction is truly a, a window inside the mind here of one Garth Innes 
and trying to reconcile the 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 journey of faith. Uh, and, and I just felt that exchange was so powerful in the context of this story. And I'm not going to reveal the context here. You got to go read that for yourself because yeah. this is a must read if you would like to experience a serious exploration about all of the topics within religion that we're talking about here. And, and mind you, it's it, it's firmly grounded grounded here in Christianity. Okay, so let's get that straight. We're talking Texas. We're talking a minister. We're talking you know Bible Belt country, the whole nine yards here. Okay. Um, I even think they have a little apple pie scene in there somewhere. So <laughs> the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's Americana. Americana. <laughs> it's Americana. It's, it's very much steeped in Americana, which is which is interesting and fascinating at the same time. Coming from a Northern Ireland uh, writer, uh, but fair game, I, I have to admit, uh, if as far as an, an exploration is concerned, because it, it's I'd say a little more interesting. Um, particularly cast of characters, um, you know, as where you can see maybe an, an American um, writer uh, perhaps going over and setting something on Ireland, yeah. you know, because you there there's, you know, being one removed allows a writer to be, to have a little more license uh, to do a little more exploration, if you will. Uh, but, but what I do love is that he at least has the Irish vampire <laughs> Which I thought was very, which I thought was very cool. I know, making him Irish, uh, I thought it was a great yeah, touch. and a vampire. So thank you. There, there's your tribute, Bram Stoker. Enjoy. Um, and, and you know what's so great about like the? I know Cassidy is going to be a a character of the month coming up. Uh, yeah. But I, what I really love about Cassidy is it's like, yes, he's a vampire, but it's like he's it's just like okay, Jesse's human, Tulip's human, Cassidy's a vampire. Uh, you know, it, it just that's just it, it that's just the way it is. Nobody questions it. Nobody goes into, well, you know, when did you become a vampire? I'm sure they will go into his origin later in the series, but like right now it's just it, it just Cassidy the vampire and I I really like that that nobody kind of bats an eye. It's almost like and uh, you know, in like and like classic vampire lore with like you know Bram Stoker, it, you know it is like it's this curse, um, you know this like um, um, almost like a you know a religious kind of curse that you know this immortality you have to drink blood to stay alive and all that kind of stuff. So you know yeah you, you know somewhere you have a feeling that you know that van that typical traditional vampire myth is going to clash with what's going on with the search for God. You just feel it in your bones. It's going to go. It's going to come up somewhere. You just don't know where and when. And I just really. I, I, lo I love Cassie. Really, though, in the first volume, he wasn't highlighted all that much, which was disappointing. Um, but he definitely has. Um, um, he definitely comes back pretty strong in volume two. So it's uh, it's been fun reading more about Cassidy. And he would become such a popular character, Doc, that he would warrant his own Vertigo one shot comic. Yeah, you know, yeah, come out too. And you know, it, it's funny. It, this it, it's almost the the start of a joke. A preacher, an ex-girlfriend, and a vampire walk into a diner, and, and that's how, and that's how we start this series. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's absolutely absolutely amazing. So, you know, I'm I'm. Is there any aspects, not specific story threads, but aspects about this series, and in particular Garth Ennis's writing, before we get into the art, that you would like to cover here? 
You know, I, I really think the uh, one of the real big strengths of this story are all the, all the characters that are introduced in here. Yes, you have your three, um, well, I guess more than three, but, you know, your your basic ones with, you know, Jesse, Cassidy, and um, and um, uh, Tulip. But other than that, like, we, we keep getting all these other characters kind of, like, uh, thrown in. We very briefly meet the Saint of Killers, as you mentioned, which yeah. is an absolutely amazing character that you will see um, takes on a bigger role as the uh, story goes on. And uh, he is just an unstoppable works for basically base works for God. And um, he is a, uh, he is such a killing machine basically that um, he's not even considered the angel of death. He's beyond, he's the saint of killers and uh, all these other. And then uh, in the second volume, we get to meet um, hair star, which is <laughs> amazing character as well. The grail, this organization called the grail is also introduced. Um, all these things that, uh, that Garth introduces, they, if taking individually, just read about them. It's like, this sounds crazy. It, you know, a little bit over the top, but man, the way he just infuses everything, it's just really all makes sense and uh as absurd and and satire and over the top some of these characters are it just really they all fit into this really crazy universe that he created in preacher and um i i just love it i can't every issue i i just can't wait to see what new character has been is going to be introduced because there are some that were introduced that weren't in the uh the tv show which so that's fun to see as well um and it's understandable but i i can't stress enough that this is not a title for young readers. Um, we're not talking about a little bit of cursing and maybe a tiny little bit of nudity here and there. It's this is just this is adult content. I mean, this is there's just no way else to say it. It is adult content, and even the, the material um, of it, it's uh, you know you're looking at kind of. Um, depravity <laughs> yeah. on a, on a certain scale and it's not done for shock value. It's, it's actually, and that's something I also, I really appreciate about it. It's not done for shock value. It's part of the story. It's showing these characters and, and establishing these characters as some of them are completely depraved and other ones are kind of depraved, but you can see they have kind of a good soul in there somewhere and, and things like that. And so we get the, you know, we get this whole scale of, uh, this whole, um, um, just this whole scale is the best word for it of uh, of the of the different kinds of characters and how messed up they really are. So it's uh, I, I really think the writing is just is just absolutely top notch here with Garth. Yeah, I, I agree, Doc. The you know it's rare in a visual medium that I will single out the writer as being the star of of something, which you know. Mind you, we started this podcast celebrating a lot of the writers. There's no doubt about it. And there was definitely a generational shift that happened, mainly in the 80s, the issuance of of the British Invasion, Alan Moore leading the way, the Neil Gaiman's, Graham Morrison's. Here we have Garth Ennis. Um, but in, in this book, there's just like no doubt about it. There There's no doubt about it. And that's not to take anything away here at all from... Um, Steve Dillon, because mm -hmm. we're going to get into his art here in a second, okay? Because he he more than more than adequately, okay, uh, carries his own weight in this. But Garth is his story arcs, the dialogue. Mm -hmm. It's so strong. And, and it's not strong 
through dominating the pages. It's the strength of his economy of words. Yeah. It's outstanding. And I, I would have loved to have known the art direction that Garth was giving to Steve at any given time, because Steve seems to be in complete lockstep with what Garth is trying to get across. Um, You know, when, and maybe now I'm beginning to tread into the territory here of the art. So, Doc, are you good with getting into the art? Actually, you know, let me just, I just wanted to mention one more thing. Okay, um, go for it. You know, with the story that it is, um, uh, oh, something you just said, and it, it just sparked it, and now it just left my head. Darn it. Um, with the, uh, you were just talking about the strength. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the strength of the story arcs and um, that the Dylan you know, more yeah. than adequately supports it and that you have an economy of words that's happening here. That's on, what it on is. the pages that is really strong out of Garth Ennis. That was the, uh, the economy that, that kind of sparked it. So uh, I think uh, also what we get a really great balance of is, you know, we, we, we find out pretty early that, you know, basically, you know, the, the, the one thing that's going to connect all of these issues is going to be the search for God. And um, um, in other, in less adept hands, I think we would, um, that, that, that thread could just kind of disappear for a little bit while they go into other adventures and all these different arcs and everything. And then once in a while, you know, we'll be reminded that they're searching for God. But I think Garth does a really great job of giving us like that, like that exchange you just read about with uh, Tulip and God, that we do see God as being a character in this book. It's not just a concept that they're searching for. I mean, it, it is real. And I thought he did a really nice job with, with getting you really, really hooked as far as like, oh, this is not a, a uh, metaphorical search for God. This is an actual God is a being and he's on earth and um, they're searching for him. And I think he did a really, really nice job with uh, giving you those breadcrumbs and also getting you hooked on um, like, oh, I can't wait to see more of this exchange with God and everything. So he doesn't give us an information dumps. He's like you said, that economy of words, he does just such a great job with hooking you onto these characters and these different kinds of concepts that he's going to be talking about. It's just, it's just top notch writing in my opinion. I agree, Doc, and I think there's nothing more indicative of that than the quotes that precede every one of the new chapters or yes. issues, if you will, yes. where, where Garth thematically gives you a, he was either a phrase quote or a sentence quote mm. that really sets the tone for what you're about to experience in that particular chapter or issue. And those precede every one of these and hits the mark on every single one of them. Every time. (laughs) Every time. Every, every time. I mean, just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Okay. So do we want to get into the art now? Let's get into the art. All right. Let's get into the art. Okay. Steve Dillon. Kudos. He did a great job here. I think I finally now, Doc, have reconciled. Uh, my opinion of the art. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, that, and that's this. It perfectly suits, perfectly suits Garth Ennis's vision for what he's trying to get across here and also accurately reflects the times with which it was rendered, meaning the 90s. Yeah. This is 90s art. It's dark. Ruined through. Yeah. It's muted colors. It's really 
there was a art style in the 90s that was pervasive. And it, it was street, gritty. It's almost, to me, Doc, the art style of the 90s is very similar to the cinema styles of the 70s, where, <laughs> you, where you had this, um, this uh, desire to uh, get away from the gloss and shine of big Hollywood productions, mm-hmm. but go to the more auteur films, street level, you know, Death Wish, um, uh, Taxi Driver, uh, you know, all of these, you know, grim start in reality, um, you know, those type of um, films, you know, Chinatown, I mean, all those sort of things. You have... Matter of fact, you even had an entire lines of comics that were coming out in the early 90s boom that were staking their claim to being of this gritty, um, street level, uh, dark, we're dark, we're serious Mm -hmm. kind of tones. And from that standpoint, this artwork reflects that. But here's the crazy thing about it. That's exactly what this book is. So therefore, you can't be critical of it. It actually, the art style fits perfectly what this book is about. And I think very well tempers the satire parody, the absurdity of some of the scenes that were placed in by by grounding it in this gritty darker serious tone in the art because the facial expressions alone of the characters are very detailed and grotesque mm-hmm. in this book so i think that allows that level of detail steve dillon's level of detail to shine but stylistically for me, Doc, I'm not the biggest fan of this art style. Though I have to – so again, that's a taste issue. That's not a technical issue because yeah. I, think, I think Dylan here, I, I think Steve Dylan, is absolutely performing at a highly, highly technical level and execution flawless in this art style so if you love this art style you'll love this book yeah for me for me the thing that grabbed me about this experience with scarth ennis's writing and the fact that steve dylan's art here perfectly complements that writing even though that art style from a taste perspective alone doesn't happen to be a personal favorite of mine. So I think that's the way in which I can give this art the highest compliment possible that I actually, I did enjoy it for as much as I can enjoy this art style, which speaks volumes about the technical proficiency and execution of one Steve Dillon. Okay. Doc, what were your thoughts? 
I think that's a great way of putting it up. Objectively, it's not like he, you know, like uh, across the board, you could see, oh, you know, he's he's just, oh, he, you know, his lines are off and his shadowing and color, whatever. No, there's nothing objectively. Like I, I didn't get that same feel like you did when you were reading it. With I, like I, when I was reading it, I didn't even like like some like we always talk about that. You know, sometimes we have to go back and reread because you're just you're just kind of engrossed in the artwork and you realize you're not even reading anything. In this case, I thought there was a perfect balance with what was written and then the visuals that we're seeing. And yep. um, for me, I almost think like, you know, what is more, it's almost like, it's almost like a pulpy kind of art style. And that's what I liked about it because what could be a pulpier plot than looking, you know, a literal search for God um, with all these crazy characters that are involved. And so I think the art, like you said, kind of, I think it perfectly reflects what is going on in the story that it's just, it's just crazy. And, um, and we do, we get this, you know, if, if you had this really high gloss, like, you know, think of like superheroes, how they're drawn in like the, the mid two thousands, if that was the kind of art style for this, I think there would be a very, very big gap between the written word and then the visuals that you're seeing. It wouldn't match. It just Agreed. wouldn't, you know, like you said, this one, it's making it gritty and it's making it like, I, for me, the word pulpy um, is the best word I can come up with. And, uh, and I think they complement each other really nicely. Like you said, the details on the faces, like when you first meet the Saint of Killers, just the, the deep lines in the face of, you know, this grizzled old killer. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty staggering. So, I, yeah. I, and I completely get what you're saying with, yeah, if if this was the artwork that was being used to uh, to like draw Batman today, no, it would be, it would bomb. It wouldn't be, you know, people would be like, what the hell's going on here? This is not the artwork that we're used to. But for Preacher, in night from 95 to when it ended, I think it's, I think it was the perfect style for the story. Yeah. Uh, I, I concur doc. And you know, I think maybe I got ruined by this in, in the back of this book, mm. we have wanted a preacher's gallery and these, I believe are a collection of all the alternate covers or the, indeed the covers uh, for the preacher books, which differed from what the interiors were throughout the series. And I think there's also some tribute stuff in here too. You have art by Tim Bradstreet, Glenn Frabry, John McRae, Doug Mankey, Joe Casada, <laughs> Kieran Dwyer, Jim Lee, Dave Gibbons, Amanda Connor, Carlos Esquera, John Higgins, Dave Johnson, J.G. Jones, Brian Boland, and Bruce Tim. This gallery, I love. Or oh, not messing around. My goodness. <laughs> if the, some of the art styles in this gallery could have been the art that we saw from panel to panel to panel, they also would have worked beautifully in the series. It, the, these were just a little more to my taste as far as what I enjoy looking at yeah. while reading a book. So that's all. But yeah. but I but I gotta tell you though, Steve Dillon, hats off to you. You you yeah. you you in no way, shape, or form distracted me at all from the story. If anything, you drew me closer into it and perfectly complimented. Garth Ennis's dialogue and illustratively 
provided the vision beautifully to get across some really compelling storytelling here. Just to, th- th- this is one of those masterworks, Doc. It, it truly is. Mm-hmm. I'm. It, it's really, really good. It, it, if you're serious about a an exploration of faith in a very adult tone and can navigate through the satire and absurdity of it all, I think you will have a very enriching reading experience with Preacher. I, mm-hmm. I absolutely do. It's really, really good. Now, Doc, you had mentioned earlier here in our podcast that we have Cassidy, uh, the vampire, actually being our comic book character of the month for this month. And I had tied Cassidy here to the AMC series, which I know you have taken in and viewed. If you wouldn't mind, I would like for you to share with the audience just your general impressions of of viewing the AMC series and how well uh, you think they did in adapting this work to a series streaming series, um, TV series. First off, Seth Rogen, thank you, because I'm not a huge Seth Rogen fan, but he is an executive producer of uh, of the Preacher TV show, and uh, hats off, so thank you. <laughs> but other than that, I absolutely, I watched um, uh, Preacher last year, so it was before, Preacher has always been on my list of things to read, and it was just because it was a committee, you know, it was like, what is it, 70, I think it's like 72 issues with all the one-shots and everything. So it was, you know, it was just a uh, a beast um, to take on. And um, so when, when you said you wanted to do that for this month, I was so excited. And now I'm just going to keep reading it. So I watched it last year. Um, and so I know people usually read it first and then watch it. Um, but man, I absolutely love it. was probably the, my, the favorite thing I watched last year. And I watched a lot of shows last year. I absolutely loved it. I thought they did a fantastic job in both the casting and really capturing the story. It is, it's the essentially the same story and we get a lot of the same characters, but they, they move some stuff around. And like, for example, like there's a, um, in that first volume that we read, um, there's like a three or four, um, I think it's a three or four issue arc of Jesse, how he was brought up in Louisiana with his, uh, with his grandmother and everything. Whereas in preacher, the TV show, that's a whole season of, uh, I think it's either eight or 10 episodes. And, um, and it did not feel stretched out. It was really awesome exploring that. And, uh, it's only five seasons. It's a very quick series to get through. Um, and I, I recommend it a hundred percent, whether you read this or not, it's a great show and it may, it'll make you want to read the, the, uh, the comic because you want to read more about these characters. Um, they have all of the characters that we talked about and, uh, and, uh, and they go even more, we even get to see God. So how often did you see that in a, in a TV show? So I thought they did a fantastic job with, uh, with, um, um, and I'm happy to see that, like for that, like the first couple, like the first arc, they didn't just follow the comic verbatim. Um, we get a lot of the same ideas. We get a lot of the same characters and the, um, and the pacing. Um, but it's, uh, they definitely make it their own to give the readers, people who have read it, give them something a little bit different, but something also that they were expecting because you don't want to stray too far because the material is so strong. Um, so I'm glad they didn't change it up too much. And, uh, it was, it's really, really a great show i recommend it to anybody um whether you read this or not i think it's uh, i think you'll enjoy it doc that's high praise and a great endorsement there and i'll just say here in summary i think we're both of the opinion 
that preacher here for an adult audience who is interested in um, satire and um, a oh thoughtful exploration of the journey of of faith will find this series designed by and executed brilliantly by Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon uh, to be a very enriching experience. I agree. I agree. This is, it's not your typical superhero comic. It's a, uh, think of a comic that's just full of anti-heroes. <laughs> some of them are worse than others. Some of them are a little bit better than others. Um, but there's really no, you know, character. It, it doesn't, it doesn't set up that dichotomy of good versus evil. It's, um, it's just, it, it, these people are who they are. They're deeply flawed human beings. Some of them are trying to do the right thing. And some of them are purposely trying to not do the right thing. And I think that's really where the uh, the strength comes in in this story it's just the characters and uh and how they resolve their their various journeys and we're kids. Hey, shout, 